Oh, I guess uh, we don't have an episode title. Anyways, we are back, and I guess this year, uh, or <laughs> this year, yeah, we're the, how about we be the, the New Year's babies? How does that work for you? Okay, uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we're uh, we're ready to go. Quentin, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm good. Zoom is not a fan of me. Don't really know why or what I did to deserve that, but Zoom is not a fan of me. Um, I couldn't record because one I did the first part of the always Barry Tanners or formerly known as always Barry Tanners had to do that. So I couldn't record last week and I am currently, uh, preparing. Well, we're actually watching wrestling again now, like, but before that I had to do like battle rap stuff too. And just other things. So I'm not busy now and Tim, you'll be pleasantly uh, surprised to hear that I am deci- I am trying to watch wrestling at least in somewhat the same capacity that I used to. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm feeling the same way. I've uh, yeah, I pushed myself hard this week on my days off. I did a lot of a lot of long bike riding and all this and that. But I'm also like, fuck it. I'm going to start watching more. I'm going to. I'm going to be more diligent and just say, you know what? I don't need to watch every last little thing. I can cherry pick a lot more than how I used to be. Um, Cause that was kind of part of why I actually stopped. It's stupid to say, and it sounds dumb, but like part of why it feels like I was watching a lot less wrestling for a while there is cause I was like, I don't have the time to watch everything like I used to. And there's way too much of it. So I just watched nothing. Right. Instead of just yeah. watching something. Um, Especially when you're pushing yourself to watch everything and there's just so much bullshit, like trying to just say, okay, I'm going to watch everything because there's a, you know, IWC, no rope, no holds barred show that has like a Dom versus Kevin Koo match. I want to watch. Well, I've got to watch the entire undercard. Right. So I've got to see, you know, the iron demon wrestle fucking whatever, you know, uh, the Clark, not Clark, I was going to say Clark Connors, Everett Connors, the, uh, you know, the the hardcore you got to watch what Shane Mercer does, of course. Yeah, exactly. I got to see Shane Mercer versus the fucking Amish guy. The like third generation knockoff bad Amish gimmick. Like, God damn, what is what are we even doing at this point? But but before we were starting, before we were talking, it feels like the right time to get going. And I did I did just literally just tweet this out and I try to stop myself from saying this, but I just can't help myself. And I do. Um, I hate that it kind of feels like this is a the rising tide lifting all boats thing and WWE is hot and there's energy and everyone's saying it's good now, but it feels like all promotions across the board are really kind of clicking right now. There's tons of actually interesting wrestling going on. There's crossover stuff that's like actually enticing and you want to see there's good matches. There's, you know what I mean? There's intrigue. There's cool stuff happening. There's 
the resurgence of Brian Danielson, even though we've been spending years saying this guy at the back half of his career is still the greatest of all time, is somehow turning it up in 2024 and seeming like even more the greatest of all time somehow. Um, it's just, it's a good year. I mean, you've got the stuff like you just said, you, you know, you just recorded the formerly known as always buried tanners. You've got the, what's peeking around the corner with the violent people website coming soon. It just, in a lot of ways, it feels like wrestling is back, right? The, the vibe is back. The quality is back. The, you know, interest is back. Am I, am I wrong? Do you, you kind of feel that too? I think that we're, we're working towards it. I do think the like to the WWE thing, like I have still yet to see a fucking single second of WWE anything. Like I've definitely kept like be, uh, started be- becoming you in that regard, where I just don't watch anything from there, and I'm not sure when I will or when something will be intriguing enough for me to actually do it. But I've still yet to watch any actual wrestling from there. But like I, I, I do think that, especially in the wake of the end of the end of the MJF title reign and the uh, uh, Devil storyline now being over, that AEW feels better, and right, I think it's very notable how good the Dynamites have been without having to like without needing to have Kenny the Bucks, uh, or MJF on the shows. And like I, I like Kenny Omega. I like the Bucks, and at time, and there's like there's things I like about MJF. But like, clearly, we're showing that we don't really need these guys. That like we're per- that we're perfectly fine without needing to have these guys all over the TV or in important programs. Now, if we could just get rid of Chris Jericho, then that'd be even better. Yeah, but like I think the like the telltale for me so far has been. Clearly, AEW doesn't need those guys on TV to put on a good wrestling product. No, and their their roster, even if you do say that their roster is you know incredibly talented still, even with the elite, with how good that they actually are, even with, I think, I hate to even say it like Adam Page, I think that there's still a lot left in the tank there for him, but their roster does need a freshen up and needs, even if you don't say like, oh, these guys are all still so good, like they just feel stale. And- Again, it's not about age. It's not about real age. It's about TV age. It's about doing five years nonstop of running with these guys constantly on your TV and constantly in the mix for major programs. Even if people said early on, oh, why weren't the elite pushed even stronger? It's like they were always presented at the top of the card. Um, they were always on they were they were always on TV. Now were right. they like did they push themselves to the extent that like guys booking a company could push themselves? Of course not. But they were always on TV. And right. Like that still needs a degree of like freshening up, and I think but, and I think and I think like Hangman has just he just has something that Kenny and the Bucks just don't have, which is like people love Kenny and the Bucks because obviously like there's a level of respect and admiration for them, but Hangman is just genuinely maybe the most likable wrestler in all of wrestling. I think, right? And like I had to I had that realization earlier as I'm watching Hang, Hangman and Claudio. I'm like wow, Hangman isn't my isn't the best wrestler in the world, but outside of a few like obvious favorites, I'm not sure that he isn't my favorite wrestler in the world. And that's something I could have never imagined myself saying five years ago. 
And I feel like because Hangman just has that fire, that quality to him, that Kenny and the Bucks just don't have, that even if Hangman's been on TV for just as long as them since the exception of AEW, like, Hangman does, Hangman feels perfectly fine. It's yeah. just Kenny and the Bucks, honestly. Yeah, it's them. It's Jericho, as you mentioned. It's it's MJF. It's, okay. you know, to a lesser extent, like, Darby has taken time off, but even him, he feels a little bit like, okay, are you ever going to do anything else with him? Or is this just it? Um, I mean, hell, it's Sammy Guevara. It's, you know, Jack, uh, you know, Jack Perry, um, you know, and, and we see something on the Battle in the Valley where it's like, okay, maybe they are going to do something fresh there. But when I talk about it, it's not just literal age, it's also TV age. It's like it feels fresh having Samoa Joe as the champion. And that's yeah. Samoa Joe, who's been around forever. But it's new on AEW TV. It's it's new. and It's, it's also new in a way in which, like, this is the first time he's been a world champion. God, like, since his, did, 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 how many, how many, how many impact world title rings did he have? Uh, like two, and one what of them like was like four, three. Up, yeah, and one of them was like a really brief storyline thing that had to do with the main event mafia and stuff. So it barely even yeah, counts. Like, so like, this is know. probably like yeah. Joe's first world title run in like, god damn, like maybe like 12, 13 years, longer probably. Maybe like 14, maybe like 14 years. Honestly, like it's probably been a fucking long yeah. time since Samoa Joe's been like a world champion on TV. And it's not like he's like short of pushes in other places. Like obviously there's NXT, the uh was it the Intercontinental title or US title he had in WWE? Was it, I think it was the he US title. had the US title. Yeah, so it's not like he just hasn't been on TV, he just has not been in this position before. And obviously, this is this this is like weeks, weeks old stuff, but Man, watching Worlds End, it was just so weird watching them do the right thing and take the belt off MJF and give it to Joe. And Joe, for the last, really, like like 15 years, 14 years, we know that Joe has not been the same physically, at least since like 2008, really. 2007, 2008, he has not, he's not been the same wrestler physically at all. And yeah, that came with a lot of changes to like his style and how like good he was. And in TNA, the, there was a lot of there was a shortage of good in that ba- in that back half of his career. But the indie run in WWE, the indie run, there's some good stuff. There's like Kyle O'Reilly, there's ACH, there's like really good stuff there to enjoy. And even in WWE, you get some stuff like uh the Sami Zayn Twitter Falls match, or you get the stuff with Ray, or the Brock match at Fastlane is good. You know, I, th- I thought I think that's like a pretty good match or whatever. He has some good stuff there in WWE, but Joe's entire late, like late, like mid to late 2010s and 2020s has been all about his promo work, all about promo, all about how good he is in these segments, everything that he does, backstage stuff, commentary, whatever. Joe has mastered presenting himself. Like he's the most important person on the roster, even if he's not the most important person on the roster, he feels like he is at all times. And I'm not sure how to equate that in a GWE capacity because there's nothing that says we don't count promo work. But a lot of people, including myself, like when we did it the first time, like didn't include promo work. But Samoa Joe's whole like, last 10 years 
has been entirely about how like really again with good wrestling sprinkled in but how good he is at like all the other stuff that makes people interested in a wrestler and he's carried that all the way to being the world champion again on a nationally televised wrestling company and it's kind of wild but that speaks to like how fresh it is that hey Samoa has been around for, for for forever but Samoa Joe as a world champion on TV, especially after MJF, is like perfect course correction. Even if it's even if it's a transitional thing, it feels like okay, we're back on track now. Yeah, for sure. It definitely feels again, it just speaks to that. Like we needed something fresh, and it definitely feels like something fresh and unique. Um, and you've got, you know, Osprey coming in, a guy who's got a couple of big matches for us to talk about if we talk about just this new year, right? Um, already off to a pretty crazy start, and to think that like he's jumping into into AEW right now, and in a time where it is like kind of I guess tumultuous. I don't even know how to describe it, but just as you said, feeling better, but also feeling like is it time to shake things up? Is it time to stir the course? Like, what do you do? Because Joe Osprey seems like a pretty you know interesting feud, but should Osprey jump in instantly to that level? Like. I don't know. I don't know where they're at. We're talking about like feeling better. And that feels like the wrong move as much as it kind of makes sense. It feels like a move that goes the wrong way. Cause you've got guys who are poised when you talk about yeah, like, Osprey shouldn't win it right now. Like the right answer probably is swerve. But then the problem is that like, ultimately like when they're already promoting it, it's like, they're going back to Wembley and Osprey's on your roster. Naturally, right. it kind of makes sense that Osprey should probably main event Wembley. So, do I really want a eight or nine month Swerve Strickland title reign? Hmm, maybe right. not. Probably not. I feel like we might be getting into some overexposing territory if we did that. Possibly. So, are there ways to get around that? I don't know, but like, I do think the Swerve is probably the guy that like should win the belt. And I think Hangman still being presented so strongly is a really good thing. I still feel like there's plenty of juice left in more Hangman Swerve stuff. I don't know exactly what it is. If they trade, like, I, like if Hangman and Swerve traded the belt over the over the spring and summer, right? Like with each of them getting like a with each of them getting like a two month reign or some shit. Would you be mad at that? Like I'm fine at Swerve and Hangman trading the belt. Yeah. No. I even I even wouldn't mind if you did something like that where they trade the belt back and forth and then you end up getting the belt even on someone else leading into Wembley and Osprey. And I don't know if I want Osprey going into Wembley as the champion or I want Osprey going into Wembley as a challenger, right? But having those two, you know, like you said, trade it back and forth, have a like couple of short reigns, but honestly continue with the hot hand and i wouldn't hate the idea that you do that you have some diversions here and there and then when we end up at wembley we still are doing hangman and swerve in a rematch in wembley because on top of everything else like you're trying to sell tickets and osprey is definitely going to help but i think running back a big rematch and you say you even do texas death again or something like that to where you're really even telling the uk fans 
like, all right, you remember that match from last year that people say is like one of the most violent things they've ever seen on T on American TV, even if it was pay-per-view, whatever, and match of the year for some people, all this and that. This is your chance to now see it in England. You know what I mean? And even if you've had them have a couple of matches back and forth, trade the belt, then you move on, do some other stuff and then get back there. Um, I do think that that's a match that can draw because the crowd will say, holy shit, you know, that was such a legendary, great match. I want to see it. I want to have the chance to see it in person. You know, right. if that does that make sense? No, that makes that makes sense for sure. I like, I genuinely feel like Hangman and Swerve just has everything going for it to be like AEW's defining feud, and not just one that they like, where where they present it as being that, or like it's supposed to be that. Let's say like where there's like fucking Young Bucks FTR or um, Kenny and Moxley or something like that. I feel like Hangman and Swerve naturally has that sort of feel to it. That, like, at its highest point, like, and it's not hyperbolic, hyperbolic to some people, but almost like that, that, like that Austin Rock thing, where two guys are trying to make it to the top, and like they have to like get through each other to make it there, and it's a level of like hunger or whatever that feels uh, tangible through when they wrestle and that stuff delivers in the audience resonates, resonates with it. And absolutely. I feel, and I, and I feel like that really could be a special thing and you don't want to run into the ground, but genuinely, I'm not sure. I really think they could do more of that and like, it could be perfectly fine. Oh yeah. One thing. Okay. You're talking about the kind of the immense rivalries and the, the the moments as you might say or the or the things that stick out as the unique this is AEW things and the one that comes to mind I saw someone you know post the like what's the what's in the four year history of AEW what's the moment right you know you know oh and the person was being really nice no gatekeep you know everybody's opinion is fair but I'm like there's no debate there's one answer the AEW moment of the four years and it's it's Eddie Kingston with the gas can. Like, I mean, there is no more <laughs> iconic AEW moment in the four years than Eddie Kingston with the gas can. I'm sorry. That's it. Right. Like <laughs> bloody Eddie coming out to set uh, Claudio on fire. And that's the, the part about it. When you talk about the rivalries and the you know, what it makes it unique, that's the toughest part, because when you talk about the rivalries and who matches up with who, OK, you've got Eddie and Moxley. That's a history thing. That's a uh, relationship character thing. That's very interesting. But really when you talk about the rivalry that is like the unique iconic Eddie rivalry for AEW, it's Claudio. And I hate to say this cause I love Claudio to death. And if you remember when we did our wrestlers of the 2010s, I had him like in the top 10. Um, I just don't think that Claudio truly brings his side of the rivalry. They've seemed to try to pivot it and it would, it would be better to make it to where the rivalry is Danielson and Kingston. Right. And they have incredible matches with each other. But to this point, the heat, Eddie has poured on the heat so much on his hatred and history with with Claudio that like it makes that feel like that's the thing. That's the one that he focuses on the most. But unfortunately, like even if, you know, you love their matches as much as like like say Joseph does and I don't necessarily love him that much. I still don't think that you can say that Claudio brings it to the storyline side of that thing to where it makes it feel as much like a rivalry as it could. And that's why, unfortunately, that that's not a rivalry that pops in your head as like a. Like I said, like a, a trademark AEW rivalry, right? 
Now yeah. the Kingston Danielson could, but they've only they've got a short time to continue telling that story. And as you said, I think that the Swerve Hangman is right there to clearly be it. Like that will be the defining rivalry of the company. I think as long as they continue down the path that they're going. Oh, some fantasy booking stuff like. I was perfectly fine, especially with this being like an Eddie Redemption story with him beating Danielson then beating Moxley, guys he hadn't beat before. But on a wrestling match level, on a guy like on a guys who I think just match up really well, I wanted to see Jay and Eddie in the finals. I wanted to see JY and Eddie. And yeah. yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's kind of still what I want to see happen at some point this year. Is I feel like at this point. We've ran through the Eddie Blackpool combat, like a combat combat club thing. Uh, I'm like I'm cool with that. If they want to wrestle each other, have great match. Like I'm cool with that. I'm fine with that. I'm cool with getting say like Eddie and Roddy or whatever. Fuck. I'm cool with all these different things. But the guy who I think right now on the AEW roster is the perfect matchup for a long feud with Eddie is probably Jay White and. That's what I thought would happen in the finals. It didn't happen. It was Eddie and Moxley, which which was still awesome. Loved Eddie and Moxley. But I thought we'd get Eddie and Jay White. And going into 2024, that's probably like my number one wish list item for AEW is I want Eddie White and Jay Kingston. I mean, Eddie Kingston and Jay White. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I agree. And they have the history too, which you can play off really easily with the stuff that happened with the New Japan and all that, right? Like, yeah. so you can, you can set that up through that, and and they do match up really well. It's tough because Jay White is in like a tough spot because he's one of the many people I think right now are who are in this like unfortunate AEW limbo where like they just can't seem to decide who's a heel and who's a babyface, right? Like. Jay White feels like he's being presented as a heel, but then kind of going babyface. The the stuff with the devil and Adam Cole, the little tease of like he's not happy about you know being the, the you know part of the the collateral yeah, being, damage. Yeah, being, yeah, being fucked over for you know like it's yeah. So yeah. that that was interesting to me to see that moment there, which it, it made storyline sense to see the Bullet Club Gold come out and have an issue. Right. But again, it kind of throws things off. And it doesn't I, help with with Jay White already feeling like kind of a shaky and being pure heel. Yeah. So, yeah, man. So I, I honestly will kind of double down on Jay and Bullet Club Gold being heels and go forward with like Jay and Eddie. That's that would be like my number one Eddie feud for the year. But yeah, I I, I think that AEW in general is a company that with certain people gone. It feels good again, right? You know, like this Darby Allen by and, subtraction, uh, right? Yeah, like this Darby Allen and kind of and kind of Takeshi the shit, like two back to back weeks of just them being being in the same match with each other and fucking <laughs> murders taking place, and yeah, like that, like and that's just and that's just fun. Hangman, Hangman and Claudio rocked. I don't know if you saw Hangman and Claudio, but like, <laughs> I did, I did. Hangman and Claudio rocked. Yeah. Um. Even Hangman, even Hangman and Drake and um, the House of Black six man tag on Collision were both very good. Yeah, like I'm having I'm having fun watching AEW. Like AEW is solid again, yeah. And I, and I hope it keeps up. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm having a good time watching AEW. And I'm like, I'm really looking forward to when they uh for when they get to Roddy and Ar- and Orange Cassidy. Like, yeah. I mean, we're 
where they're going and how things are going. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm really debating like, oh, you know, we should review like an AEW pay-per-view coming up. Because I, like I said, I'm not banning that we're never gonna, but it's definitely feeling like once there's one that feels good, this last one was like, it felt like there was gonna, it really honestly felt like it was gonna be not very good. And then it delivered on being not very good, but where they're leading now, if they start to book some solid looking matches, you know, maybe I'll be interested again. Um, um But you mentioned... Darby and Takeshita there. And I don't know if you want to jump into this, but we were going to kind of talk about stuff that hit over the year. And I think looking looking over your tweet list, I think that's the match that you have rated the highest right now so far for this year. It I know is, that you've watched a bunch of stuff, but maybe you have something higher that you haven't. Yeah, put on I have done some updates. It is. Okay. um, Yeah, so it was it, it was my highest rated for a couple of weeks. And then I actually went through the dome stuff and I watched. Uh, OK, Danielson and Okada, which, you know. <laughs> sure. Really, it was really sure. good. Um, uh, it's probably like my number three match of the year right now, though. Between uh, well, after after Okada and Brian, and I loved Hangman and Claudio. I went higher on Hangman and Claudio than than Darby and uh, Takeshi. Okay. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, no. That even before we get to um, say like some New Japan stuff. I re- did you watch Charlie Dempsey and Kasiko Nakajima? From I sure did. It's still sitting firm for me. I mean, that is at the moment, even going through everything, that is still to me the match of the year. I want to. I, I, I want to watch it. I want to watch it again. But like yeah. Charlie Dempsey, is like incredible. I, I like I like Kasuhiko Nakajima, right? Like I like him, right. but I don't always find him the most interesting. And Charlie Dempsey just had the most interesting Nakajima match. I've watched in like fucking five years. Yeah, I'd have to like, agree. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, wait, wait, what is going like what's going on here? Everything about it, the fucking rotating cattle mutilation that Dempsey did, the way he even did like the dragon screw. De- yes. Nakajima was very, very good in terms of like his selling and everything and uh how deliberate he felt and not like pushing the pace in ways in which it didn't need to go to fit his style. And obviously, like it was a Dempsey showcase match, and Nakajima did do his part in like letting that happen. But Dempsey was like incredibly good in that match, and like I I was seeing so many people talking about it, and then when I actually watched it, I was even like, oh wow, like this is actually that good. This this match is one of those like somehow just lightning in a bottle situation because. I've seen plenty of Dempsey, right? But he was busting stuff out and not just what he was doing, but it was a lot of how he was doing it that was fresh while being grounded in history. You know, it was basic. It was like everything was so good because a lot of it was just doing the meat and potatoes basics of pro wrestling, but in a way that has a unique you know, twist to it that just, again, doesn't feel to, to for the worst, you know, the worst insult you can say, like 2010s indie, where it's like, uh, you know, it's a burning hammer, but I've uh, I got your rich wrist clutched across your neck. I hate to call that out because it's the, you know, the Mark Briscoe move. But, you know, where it's just like adding this superfluous bullshit just to be like, it's different, you know, then that makes it, you know, um, none of that just unique little steps even something as dumb as like he's in a head scissors and the way that he kicks his legs out it just to me it screamed world of sport 
like when you think of um and you know I, I, a lot of people maybe don't notice this or think about it but like a lot of guys don't do it that way but you would see it a lot more in kind of the uk british style where send your legs straight up and out and then plank and kind of like uh hold hold your your ankles like hard together or your heels hard together so it's like one big piece it's just like a it's flopping kind of like a weirdly like a fish and it's like i was like just so world of sport when i saw that i was like oh my god like you don't see people kind of do it that way anymore and it just stands out and you talked about the 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 catching the kick for the dragon screw and you talked about the selling and that was one of the that was like the it was the, that combination one two because you've got you know inokajima here um, showing off doing the fucking the, the Antonio Inoki crossplay. And just like Inoki, like Inoki was a phenomenal seller, but he was not known for his selling because he doesn't just sell. Um, and it's a, kind of a similar thing here where like that dragon screw was fucking sick, just brutal looking dragon screw leg whip. But what made it was that Nakajima registered and realized in the moment, which it's tough. Some people just don't have it in them to realize that. And they just go with, okay, this is, you know, this spot in the match and I sell like this for the spot. But you could tell that Nakajima realized how crazy that leg whip must have looked just because of, you know, how it was. And he sold it to the hilt because it was insane. And it made it look even crazier. And you can't, you can't teach that. No, you just, you have that instinct. You know, okay, there's there was something special about that one. I'm going to really put some stink on the cell to make sure that people recognize how crazy that was. Because other people could have taken that same dragon screw and just blown through it, and you'd be like, oh, that looked cool, but whatever. But the way that he sold it is what made it. Um, then, yeah, on top of that, you've just got the holds, the way that he's transitioning, the bridging. I mean, that was another crazy thing that Dempsey was doing was he did a lot of unique ways of bridging out of things, including, yeah, the, the revolving... Um, Cattle mutilation, which was, you know, another callback to an old like European wrestling uh, trope. And so like, yeah, that was like, OK, that's cool. The selling from Dempsey as well when he's doing the leg sellings in the corner. Like, I mean, this was just everything I want. It, everything is perfect. And as you as I talk about that, it felt like a war. It felt like they're just kicking the shit out of each other. Like when Nakajima had the curly hair and he was at the peak of the kind of bullshit in, in Congo stuff, I always I talked about how much. His personality shown through when he would do the the boots in the face in the corner thing where he posts himself up against the guy's face and, and suspends himself in the ropes with his arms. Um, he did that here, but he sold it. So he wasn't like this perfect plank, you know, 90 degrees across shitting and grin on his face. No, he was like slumping to the side because his ass was kicked. His legs aren't in full, you know, able to stiff leg perfectly. No, he's getting the shit kicked out of him here. So this was phenomenal and as i talked about it's lightning in a bottle situation because you look at this and you go okay this is still an nxt wrestler unfortunately and you're just <laughs> not going to see this kind of match happen again dempsey is not going to have matches like this with you know i i don't know fucking carmelo hayes i, I love the guy but it's just not happening obafemi is not you know having this kind of match with charlie dempsey unfortunately like we're just not maybe you could get a gulak match but even that wouldn't come close to this you know and like like, obviously, people say a lot of why, why he's like this right now is from training with Gulak. And I wouldn't be shocked. But, you know, they're just not going to let him have this match in, in NXT. And that's why it's lightning in a bottle. It's this holy shit. This guy who I've seen for quite a while. I'm, you know, one of the people who knows that Charlie Dempsey trained uh, on, you know, on the, the on the Butlins camps promotions. With the, I can't even think of the name. Like Five Star, I think is the name of it. Um, yes. All Star. Yeah. All Star. All Star promotions. Yeah. And, um. 
you know, I know that there was Charlie Dempsey pre NXT UK. A lot of people don't exactly really... for sure. A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people don't know that like he didn't yeah. just go straight to NXT. No, he they, Regal knew I don't want my kid just training with these fucking idiots in Florida. You know, he made sure that he got a real training firsthand. And it's like, oh yeah, this guy could be doing this. You know, he could be doing this all the time. But you know, he's making probably more money, easier schedule, and he's with his dad down in Florida. And we're just gonna. We're never going to really get this anymore. And on top of that, like you said, this amazing performance from Nakajima, who's doing this really cool gimmick that's like very unique because he's not a, a you know, an Anoki guy, but he's turning it up just to fuck with all Japan, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, just I absolutely adore this match. It's a lot of stuff going into it and people could say, oh, you're caught up in like the uniqueness or whatever. But it's like, no, nah, man, like even just the meat and potatoes, like quality of the wrestling is through the roof as well here, like. Even without that other stuff, this match is still fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I really, I really enjoy. It. And, and it's not that it's like there's going to be like the one time we get this because you know he's the, this yeah. just is not this is just not going to happen again. He's right back to Florida and doing whatever, and you know he'll continue doing his NXT thing, which NXT like I just have hand wave completely. Like NXT used to be that thing. Like I was like a lot of people were like NXT would be like the only WWE that I watched. And like even now that they've like gone back to somewhat of a super indie NXT, I've just like still hand waved that. I'm like, you know what? I'm cool off that. I'm cool off any of NXT too. And again, I'm sorry, Quentin, but you got to check out the metaphor. I mean, I <laughs> it's I some of the best. I can I. I, I I remember being baffled when I saw that that was a thing, and I cannot remember now who was in it. It's Noam Dar and a bunch it's of Noam- like Lash Legend, and uh, yeah, it's like it's Noam Dar, Lash Legend, another woman that I don't know her name, and then like a like some guy that I also don't know who they are. But it's really just Noam Dar's stable in NXT. But I told you, even like Noam Dar is having solid matches in NXT, but it's just kind of a joke because I didn't know you were just like taken aback by that group. Yeah, I, I I still can't believe that that was a thing. Um, but yeah, no, so that 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 part sucks, and like I hope he does well, but like yeah, you know, that's just probably not gonna probably not gonna be the case. Um, did you watch? Um, I guess we can talk about New Japan a little bit. Did you watch any of Wrestle Kingdom? I watched most of Wrestle Kingdom. I think, okay. yeah, I've watched pretty much everything worthwhile, and even including the Rambo. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why you did that. <laughs> it was. I liked Izuka being back. That was fun. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. I was. If, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I I watched it because I knew that like Okan was going to be in it, and you know I love Okan, so it was like, eh, I'll watch this. And Azuka showed up, and that was fun. But you know, it was it was obviously way too long and kind of sad seeing Yo and Show in there doing what they were doing. But otherwise, yeah. I just found out that Raul Mendoza is named Cruz del Toro. Yes, I did not know that. Yeah. Um. Who knows why they felt the need to change his name? Because like one of huh. that was already a name that they made up the first one, but they felt the need to change it again for some reason. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm just I'm just like looking at the WWE match guide on Cage Match just to see like sure. if they had anything good. And I was like, what the fuck? Who is who's Cruz Del Toro? Yeah. Um. Yeah. 
They just yeah. Who can fucking know with that company, man? They just do whatever they want. Um, I liked uh, Despi and Hiromo. I, I I think some people didn't like it that much, but I liked it for the idea. Like it was just kind of Despi kicking Hiromo's ass the whole time. Like he just like completely fucking just dominated him for the most part. It felt like for me, and I liked the idea of seeing Hiromo just kind of get like bombed on like that and just uh. Give you know, be completely controlled from like the outside of the match, and I liked it for for that for the for that idea. Um, I did watch Sonata and Naito though, and I didn't hate it. Like it's not a bad match at all. I really honestly feel like Sonata cutting the cold skull like finish the Dragon Sleeper out of what he does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, made I just enjoy his matches so much more. Yes, he's, because he's not doing that, and it's like crazy how much one move can make a difference. But when so much of his stuff is built around these transitions and reversals into the fucking cold skull or or skull and whatever it is, like I just ah, it just it just took me out of so many matches of his. So when he because he's not doing that, I'm actually kind of fine with him. Um. But him and him and him and Naito was was fine. Naito winning the belt is good. Um, the fact that they're just running back a rematch though in New Beginning, New Beginning in Osaka, yeah, I'm not really that sure about. Um, don't love it. I guess I, I guess it'll be fine, but I just don't love them running back a running back a rematch for that so soon. But yeah, that's and, uh, and then I'm just going to this stuff before I got to Brian Danielson and Okada, which is they did it. They finally fucking did it. It was great. It was everything that you'd want it to be, and everything you'd expect it to be. Every, and honestly, even more, the see Danielson come out and he has like the fucking uh, skull or scales on his gear, playing yeah. up the dragon thing was awesome. And the yes chance was very, very surprising. And props to both Okada and Danielson. You got to give them both credit for this. Is that seeing that and seeing how they went along with the babyface stuff. To for Danielson to play up the yes chance and for Okada to turn up being an asshole and to like really go with that. This is one of Okada's best selling performances ever. And yeah, I loved I loved this match. And it's even better that it's gonna lead to us getting Brian and Zach again and new beginning. So I'm cool with that. Which but is crazy. Yeah, Brian and Brian and Okada was just you know, the the dream match delivered. I'm happy about that. That feels like an interesting one because I really do think that that speaks to um, to Zach is going to be the top gaijin of the company for 2024, at least. With Saber leaving, um, I talked about it maybe a week or two ago with you with T- TMDK kind of feeling stale, and it does. But I think that Zach can still feel fresh even at the top of the card, um, especially you know if they focus on kind of the other members of the group that are <laughs> that are better. I guess I should say like. Uh, Kosei Fuchida, like, I think that he could actually be someone that they could, like, do a lot more with as, like, kind of Zach's tag team partner who takes losses and things, and I think that that could make the group a lot more interesting. Um, Bad Dude Tito, who's getting some love, and people are starting to notice more and more how good he is, like, I think he could be more of a focus of that group. You know, it really is just, like, the tag team, and I hate to say that, because I, you know, I used to love the original TMDK tag team, um, but there's just, something's missing, and those guys just don't really have it like they used to. Um, maybe they could get it back, but you know, whatever they just, yeah. And you've even got like Eagles who I think is good, but it's like, damn, when was the last time you fucking saw Eagles? It feels like he's just been missing in action for a while. Um, 
but yeah, like the fact that you're doing, he drops the TV title to Tanahashi here. He turns around and, and is getting booked against Danielson who just beat, you know, or yeah, just, uh, yeah, just had the match with Okada here. That was big. He's presented as like a top guy. Um, you could turn around and have, you know, Zach wrestle, uh, wrestle for the championship relatively quickly off of a big win over Danielson here. Um, so yeah, I just think it kind of speaks to like pushing him up the card relatively quickly. Uh, obviously yeah. you've got the new Japan cup coming up and they always like to put him strong in there. So we'll see what they do, but yeah. 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 yeah Zach, Zach, Zach probably is a perfect like new Japan, like new Japan cup title challenge for Naito. But at the same time, like again, like Osprey's not there anymore. And they do love Cobb, but I guess we'll see how much they really, really are interested in, are interested in Cobb. Because I think um, they are doing a ten man cage match at the next New Beginning show, the one that's the one that's ne- the one that's uh, next week. Yeah, and that's main evented by this Universe's Unit ten man yeah. ten man cage match. And I, part of me feels like an angle's coming. Uh, yes. You know, you know, like so, like, are we gonna see them like fully oust Osprey out of you know out of out of out of there out of leadership? Will Cobb take full control? Like, what are we gonna like? What are we gonna get there? Like, I'm kind of interested in that. And well, uh, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. So, like, that's kind of like my thing. So, like, I think while Zach is while while Zach is poised to like be that be be the top foreigner. I also I'm also looking at Cobb and I'm looking at what they've given him with Naito and, and with Naito and Okada and I'm like, hmm, like I'm kind of intrigued by that too. Yeah, and I don't, I don't feel like we're ready to move on from the dome necessarily, but a lot of the stuff that you're you know mentioning kind of plays into things that maybe we could talk about a reference on the the Battle in the Valley show. So yeah, sure, I mean, sure. Yeah, but before we before we do move on, I do want to just mention, like, you know, shouted it out. Okada Danielson was an interesting one for me because on first viewing, I did not love it. Um, or is that is to say I looked at it on first viewing and thought that their 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 previous match was better. Like I kind of saw it that way. Rewatching it relatively recently, like just a couple hours ago, I appreciated it quite a bit more. Um, for the story that they were telling with the, you know, the, the, the limb work from Danielson. And as you talked about with the crowd and that does, that's another thing that plays into the battle in the Valley thing that I want to mention. But, uh, but otherwise on the show, I mean, yeah, Despy and and Hiromo was really good. It was like, it was nice to see Despy in control like that again, as you mentioned, not just the idea that it's cool to see Hiromo getting bombed on, but it's also that like, we talked about it for years, or at least I did, how much I love Despy, but a lot of his matches recently were focused around him getting the shit kicked out of him. And it's like, oh, yeah, like an underrated part of what made Despy a wrestler that really stood out was his offense as well. Just unique, interesting offense and ways that he would structure matches even when he's in control that's really fun to watch. So, like, that was that was a, a good part of it there as well. Um, Yumura and Suji, like... That stood out to me quite a bit. And for a match that's about 10 minutes long was one of the better matches on the show and a really, really good... It was what you needed for this kind of the Three Musketeers thing um, actually feeling like there's some legs to it because the other guys are kind of stumbling. Ren Narita is not feeling like the guy. Shota is Shota. We'll see with the, you know, with the clear feud that's coming with Jack uh, Jack Perry. Um, like, we're actually going to see what he's got. But these two feel really solid and actually really 
work super great together. Not only do they have chemistry with each other in the ring, but they're set up perfectly because they're in the two factions that kind of currently have a beef going on with the five guys and LIJ. And then you've also got like the dynamic of the weirdness of like what is going on with the main event with Sonata losing the title to Naito and not really feeling like there's there's like still a familiarity between the two. There's still like a connection. It's not necessarily that Sonata is like all hate for LIJ and it definitely doesn't go the other way either. It's just kind of a Sonata was ready to go out on his own and try to prove himself as he could be a top guy. He failed. You know what I mean? And you see the way it goes. And then it does go, okay, that's interesting. Cause where do you go from there? Does Sonata continue on trying to say he could be a top guy or does he slowly dissolve back into being, you know, second, second from the top in LIJ? Does he go? And then you go, okay, well now Suji's here and does Sonata just go back into the group in the same level or now he's underneath another new guy, right? So maybe he wouldn't even feel comfortable trying to because now it's like, oh yeah, you want to come back, but you're not even number two anymore. You're definitely below this guy, right? So yeah, very, very interesting there with that, all of that. The three-way, neither one of us mentioned it. I didn't hate it. Um, I think that people fine. were kind of over, what? It was, it was fine. Like I, like, it, yeah. it was, it was, it, it, like, I had no issue with it at all. It just, it was, it was, it was a fine match. Yeah, I think people are overblowing it, trying to act like this was like some amazing Finley performance that really shows that he can hang here and do this thing. I was like, he was there. He was competent in his role. It's not the best that I've ever seen him. It's also not the worst. My my, um, my, fin- my thing with my thing with Finley is I've always liked him and I want him to work out. He's a baby face to me, though. I'm sorry. Like, yes. he's like, yes, it. It just doesn't work for me as a heel. And I would and, and like it should. I think he has the look of a heel. I think that he can like have like a heel like scuzzy look. I think that like all of the stuff is there to be. I th- I think he's just a baby face though, man. And I get always there sort of like incessant need to want like a foot to want like a a, a non native heel or whatever. I un- I understand that, but I just don't think Henry is. A, I, I I just don't think I just don't think Finley is. Especially with like the shoes he's filling in all across the board, whether it's like an Osprey shoes or Jay White or whoever, it's just I just don't think it's him, man. I just don't. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so funny because you compare him to those two, and it's two guys who are like the 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 opposites in those situations, and both really ran. It's like Osprey. Osprey is a natural heel, who for some reason everyone wants him to be a baby face like it's so funny but like he is just he's got the personality of a heel he's just easily dislikable he's but he's always like the crowd just wants to love him and they want to give him second chances and they want to forgive him for being such a fucking annoying piece of shit like but he's just such a natural heel and jay white was like the opposite where it's like natural baby face but people loved him as a heel and he got over really well working as a heel he did it perfectly but like um, you know, like he is actually a phenomenal babyface who just like somehow it worked out when they were like, we're going to make you a heel and it just happens, you know? So it is, it's funny to see Finley and he just, he can't pull off either of those like situations. He's just not that guy. Um, cause yeah, he just does not excel in this role. And, and I loved him. I think I liked him the most when, yeah, he was young babyface doing like kind of more of a, you know, grappling technical wrestling kind of style and less of this thing that he's doing now. Um, but either way, 
yeah, I just thought people were kind of overblowing it. But uh, when you talk about the dynamics and the, who's going to be the top gaijin and mixing it up in this, and I talked about stuff kind of playing off of Battle in the Valley, one thing, when you talk about that 10-man cage match and what does it mean, one thing that stood out on the Battle of the Valley was TMDK versus the Chosen Bros. And you talked about could Jeff Cobb be that new leader of the 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 United Empire? And the thing that I saw was like, at the end of the match, Jeff Cobb was trying to get Riddle to throw up the United Empire sign. And Riddle mm, was a little yeah. like, eh, whatever. And I was just thinking, okay, if Osprey's gone and Riddle really is coming in and they're they are advertising him to actually come to Japan, even oh, though no, it no, seems oh, 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 oh yeah. yeah, no, it's um it's him versus yeah. Tanahashi. Yeah, and it's that seems very dangerous and not like something you'd want to do. But if you have Riddle show up in Japan, put a beat down on Tanahashi. He doesn't have to win the TV title, but just, you know, he, you know, beats the shit out of the ace and the president of the company and and, and then replaces Osprey as the leader of United Empire. I don't think that that's the craziest thing. I could I would not be shocked if that's their plan. Like, um, yeah, that you know what I mean? That, that, like, that, that does that not seem of, out of the question? No, that makes that makes a lot of sense, actually. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like Riddle could be slotted right into that spot. I don't think it's the perfect role for him, but they could be saying, they could say, listen, like we want killer Riddle. We want MMA badass Riddle. We don't want goofy stoner, especially because we can't fucking play that in Japan. You can't pretend to be high and talk about weed in Japan, right? It's just not yeah, uh, allowed. And, like, and, and even if they, if they do bring Riddle in, like if they do bring Riddle into the group, like... I still feel like you don't have to have Riddle. Talk. You don't have to make Riddle talk either. Like you could right. just go, like have Cobb do the talking if you really wanted to. So, yeah, but you just say we want you to be an MMA badass killer. You come in here and you're the leader of this group. You've got your badass assassins who all look good in suits, and and you don't yeah you don't talk and you don't act goofy. You just be a fucking murderer with you know these other badasses around you. And like yeah, it it I think that that really works. I'm definitely going to be curious to see how they play that match out. Well, assume, assuming Riddle can get into Japan. I'm, That's I'm going to be the thing, yeah. yeah. That's the tough part. Is this guy able to get into Japan? Is this guy able to not get himself arrested? It's so funny because it was like years and years of people ca comparing him to um, to to Von Erich, to Kevin Von Erich because of the no shoes and because of the look, right? You know, he kind of looked like a Von Erich boy. But if he ends up getting himself busted like fucking uh, like Terry Gordy in Japan for drugs, like then we're then we're like, OK, we're, I guess he wasn't a Von Erich. He's a free bird. Um, <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Right. Who would have saw that coming? Um, the other thing and, you know, jumping around a bunch. But the other thing on Battle of the Valley that I think kind of related to stuff on, on on the Tokyo Dome was the main event when you talked about Okada and the and the guest chance and Okada working heel. In the main event, the crowd, I mean, it's America, maybe you'd expect it, but at the same time, the American fans for New Japan have been pretty good about, like, you know, not just acting like dumb Americans. They were behind Osprey, and Okada had to kind of, kind of did turn on the crowd and kind of went heel. And we talk about, you know, 2013 was the year of grumpy Okada, of Tenryu Okada, right? He, he, uh, he, oh, I say Tenryu, I meant uh, Jumbo. 
um, Saruga, right? He's the, the 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 grumpy vet. I guess Tenryu kind of had a grumpy vet thing too. But either way, um, it's, it's like it's like Tenryu was always grumpy, then right. like Jumbo eventually became grumpy. But yeah, yeah, and like Okada being the grumpy turning into grumpy vet. Okada has was the story of 2013, and now we're seeing it not just against Young Lions and not just against Kiyomiya, but we're seeing it against Danielson. We're seeing it against Will Osprey, right? These are Americans. These are foreigners. These are people who have rest, been wrestling as long as him or, or longer. And the crowd is still kind of taking their side against Okada, the ace, you know, or the new ace, whatever. Like, very interesting there. And I don't know if you want to talk about that related to Danielson, Okada, and if you want to talk about Osprey Okada, the actual match, the main event of the Battle in the Valley. And I would assume maybe what you think was the best match on the show? Um... I guess it's, uh, I guess it's probably I, I might prefer Moxley Shingo a little bit over that, but that's like it's like splitting hairs. Um, yeah, I think that Okada in this role, if they do continue with more of that, probably is like the more fun option to explore with him because I mean, shit, like dude, like we're it's crazy, but we're twelve we're twelve years into Okada, like it's kind of wild like we're 12 years into this to him being this guy in new japan and like while i feel like he doesn't have like a certain uh like base level like wrestling skill that tanahashi has to kind of like fully like make like the dominant heel maybe like kind of like do like some limb work stuff that tanahashi would do to kind of like make like his heel performances more that more much more interesting and i think that like Okada's stuff stands out when he does heal antics more because he doesn't do it very often and because Okada like just doesn't do stuff like that. Like you can you might get wacky Okada sometimes and you might get stoke Okada sometimes. And even if he's not going over the top with like certain things, when Okada does things like the kicks in the corner, or when he starts like looking out to the crowd, or when he like fucking flips the crowd off in the Osprey match, it's like those are small things and not really that big in the grand scheme of things. It's not like these like big grandiose gestures, but it's enough that stands out because Okada just doesn't do stuff like that. And I'd be interested to see more of it. I mean, if you wanted to have like Okada fucking go bully Sonata some more and rub salt into his wounds, like, Hey, you fucking loser. (laughs) You lost, you lost in the dome. Look at you! <laughs> yeah, doing all like I'd be like I'm like I'd be like I'd be into that. I think I think that'd be fun. Um, but going to Okada and Osprey, it's it's not like a cop out, but if, it's honestly, it's like if you like Okada and Osprey matches, you're gonna like this one. It's definitely more of a greatest hits thing, but I feel like the added context that might give you give us more juice is knowing that this could be the last. Osprey Okada match at least for a long time and that is probably a little bit of what gives me a little bit of give give me some room to not hate certain things as much as I might have otherwise like when Osprey does the styles clash and then looks like he's about to do a v-trigger like part of me wants to eye roll at it I'm like hey you know what I'm fine with it that's the other uh foreign Okada rivals that Okada has had. That's fine. Okay, I'm cool with that. Um, so it definitely feel, it feels more like a greatest hits. And if you like the Osprey Osprey Okada matches, you're gonna like this one. But I had I had a good time watching it. I've always liked Osprey and Okada together. 
and I think they have great matches together. So it was far yeah. from their best, but I enjoyed it a lot though. I I think it was it the was it the the Tokyo Dome match? No, it wasn't. I was gonna say I thought it was the Tokyo Dome match where he um he debuted Ocon and and the United Empire thing and like started the No, that wasn't the dome. One. No, that wasn't the dome. That was No, no. Yeah. That, okay. Th- th- yes. that, that was the that was G one. That was in yeah, that was in the G one. So I think it was, yeah. I think the Tokyo Dome match um in twenty twenty one, that was my favorite of their singles matches then. Um, because I know I remember it being the one after he did the kind of the the debut of the the United Kingdom thing was the one that I, I liked the most. Yeah. I think my favorite is probably their champion versus champion match. Okay. Like that, um, that, 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 that I remember yeah. that being my that being my favorite from them. It's just it's so crazy to think where they're at from where they started, where we're at from where they started. The fact that like, God, that first Rev Pro match I'm looking at it. The first Rev Pro match was in 2015, nearly 10 years ago, and you think about not just like their matches and their rivalry, but their matches and their rivalry in the same context of, of Okada and Tanahashi and it just being really similar in a lot of ways, you know, the older vet, the younger upstart, bringing him in, seeing something, making something out of him, building up everything that they did and a lot of weaves and interesting, unique stuff in between as they got there and all that. And yeah, like, like you said, this was greatest hits. It's got the, the wrinkle of being possibly their last match. Uh, but definitely not their best match. You know, it's just it's just clearly not. It was a bit and I can't blame him, but it's crazy because it is like, OK, well, you're doing this and then you're also setting up this insane, you know, 10 man cage match as your final match in New Japan. So it's not like Osprey's looking to take it easy on his way out. And it, this was not necessarily even a match where he took it easy, but it did feel like. I would have expected you guys to put a little bit more into this, and it just was like, yeah, not again. Playing the greatest hits, just doing the thing. You're in America. It's not, you know, the same as Japan, blah, 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 whatever. Um, either way, I get where you're coming from with Shingo and John, with J- Shingo and Moxley. I could definitely see that being the match. It's probably, it, it probably is, but I also really, really liked Gabe Kidd and Kingston. Um, yeah, just that, for the that, that, that's, not, that's another one yeah. that's like, as a whole package, I probably like Eddie and Kidd the most on the show. But then it's like, okay, well, a lot of this wasn't even like a match. Like there was the the beginning of it, they weren't even in the ring, and then like the bell did ring, and then like uh the post match stuff. So like if I count all that in, I might even bump it up a rating, which I'm kind of talking myself into. But like yeah, as a whole segment, that was probably my favorite thing on the show. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I agree with I agree with you. What do you think of the finish? I actually I loved the finish. I loved I, I loved I loved yeah. the finish there, like because it, it made yeah. perfect sense for Eddie to like. <laughs> Like, what the fuck did you just say to me? <laughs> right, exactly. Eddie just being like, fuck that. And like, and for the fact that it's Eddie, like, I love Eddie, but he talks shit about himself 10 times worse than Gabe Kid just saying that he's a fat piece of shit or whatever. He's like, you know, Eddie is constantly talking himself down, but he was so in it and so emotional and so fired up. He's like, no, fuck that. And he just comes after him as that. Yeah, that was great. And it felt and it, you know what it did is it harkened back to old, you know, Japanese gaijin wrestlers like 
doing the wild, chaotic, crazy, you know, it wasn't just Gaijin, but, you know, that is kind of a stereotype when you think about a Brody and a Hanson and even the Funk Brothers, Abdullah, guys, you know, wild, crazy Gaijins in Japan who just do these insane brawls, double account out finishes. You know what I mean? It, it was nice. Eddie is like the most guy who can like really inherit that inherit that uh, that kind of vibe out of anybody now going. So I, that, I thought that was perfect, too, to kind of just say, like, fuck it. Like, it's not, it, you know, wrestling is kind of not like that anymore, but you can have one outlaw. You can have, you know, Eddie Kingston still kind of act like that. Um, I like I'm not sure if anything else New Japan related. Sure, like, yeah. I was going to say, is there any other, like, uh, bits and bobs you want to hit? There's, there's Noah show. People going crazy for Noah, and there's, I mean, I guess there's multiple Noah shows at this point, but the big one was the the, the New Year show. Um, uh, or anything I mean, else you want to talk about? Uh, or I mean, like, Ishii versus Mataki Tamiya was fun. Like, right. like, I, like I, 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 I enjoyed that. I thought that was cool. I liked that match quite a bit. I thought people were a bit overboard on that. Like, you know, I, I think your rating is probably close to correct, if not a little high, but to me, I'm just like, not to say it's bad, but like this did not necessarily to me, it did not stand out as like a really, really great Ishii match. And there have been like much better Ishii matches. Like, you know, I just right even not really like a great Kitamiya match. I mean, they, again, I, I'm i not trying to say it's bad, nothing like that. I'm just saying, like, I think that people were kind of over kind of overdoing it on their rating on this one. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I've seen like I, I saw like, you know, cage matches are always the best uh, indicator. Yeah. Of, like, you know, like, but it's like. I was like seeing like the cage trend. Like, I was like, oh, damn, okay, all right. And I get it, it's right. an Ishii match. They fucking do stuff like headbutts. There's still like there's a little bit of blood. So like, I get that. But yeah, like I, I, I thought it was fun. I, I, I yeah, it was really good. Fun much much more than that. All right. Um, I guess this show also had uh Keno and, and Manabu Soya, which was was really great. And it also had the match of the year. Was it actually because uh, I didn't watch that? I I, I, it was, I just. It was, I, Pretty good. I, de- I deliberately chose to not watch that. Sure, sure. I can't blame you. And you know, it's it's also tough because it's like it's not the best Keno match of the week. So I, re- I refuse. Wanna... I, I refuse yeah. to get tricked by Keno. That's my thing. Right. Is ah, okay. I just refuse to be tricked. I've I've tried it so many times, and sometimes it's good, and a lot of the sure. time I'll do it, and it's just not. I I I just hate getting tricked by Keno. <laughs> yeah it's tough because he's got to be in there with the right person the go match that just happened like uh you know early yesterday was was actually really good obviously okay, those two right. are great together manaba soya and keno is was solid soya is is really interesting and entertaining right now um do you need to watch it no but i think you get something out of in checking it out but you know i'm not going to push you to it it's not like it's definitely not going to end up in your match of the year list is what I'll say. Okay, I'll check out Kano and Go then. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I would definitely watch that. Yeah, and and as I said, obviously the match everyone has to watch because it's going to be match of the year level contenders: Kota Ibushi versus Naramuji. Ah, Marafuji. Um, I've yeah, never was... seen two wrestlers who were actually like that beloved get such yeah. a bad rating in. I don't know anything about that match other than I guess it seems like Kota Ibushi came into it pretty hurt or banged up or that he had to be banged up because what because otherwise what the fuck was he doing? Um, the story is he came in with a broken ankle and left with two broken ankles. Oh, awesome. That's the story of the match. Holy shit. Yeah. Huh. 
and people are using it as proof that Kota Ibushi is so washed, right? Because that's been the story that everyone's been saying since he showed up in AEW. And it's like, okay, like this match is very bad. Um, but I don't think that a guy trying to wrestle a match with a broken ankle where in the middle of the match he breaks his other ankle is a good example of saying like, oh, he's the worst wrestler yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, no. Ibushi is, is he, like, like he, could he be washed? Sure. But the real answer is probably that he just like really banged up and should not be wrestling. Yeah, he needs to take a lot more time off and really heal up and train. And that's the toughest part with this guy is that he doesn't know how to train good. He never has. Like, he's always just been very lucky that he's a freak of nature athlete who can just get in there and do stuff. But like he does the stupidest training and doesn't really like he's not really smart about it you know and that's like where you end up with the problems with this guy is like as the wheels fall off he does not know how to adjust his style to make up for the fact that like dude it's just not gonna it's not just gonna just happen for you like it always has you know and that's tough for some people to accept and understand like you were born with a fucking horseshoe up your ass and now unfortunately it's not shining anymore and you got to figure out a way to make it work and he's just he just doesn't know how. Yeah. Um, but okay, moving on from Noah bullshit. Is there what other kind of little bits and bobs do you want to hit? Uh um, did you watch Shingo versus Mochizuki? I did. I did watch that. Okay. I think it's very good. It's awesome. Yes. I had a lot of fun, I had a lot of fun watching it. Mm-hmm. Um I guess like the thing for me is it's just more of a Mochizuki question. Seeing as you like Dragon Gate, but you're not like the Dragon Gate fanatic. Right. Where would you have Mochizuki on the GWE list? Uh, You know, I hate to even, I hate to even say, because it's like, I could see myself just not ending up with him on my list. Really? Okay. I could, I could see it like, but at the same time, I could probably talk myself into getting him into like, you know, 45, 30 range. Um, very, very talented, but I think that he gets overhyped for like his longevity case, because even though he's still good, it's like we get this match was solid, but it's not, he's not, I don't know. We've got Danielson doing what he's doing at his age at this point with how long he's been doing it. And you got Mochizuki who's like been, he's very good and has been very good for a long time, but we're not getting honest to God, match of the year level contender matches out of Mochizuki. And the last time something even came close to being on the radar for an actual match of the year level, it was the last time that these guys wrestled for the, for the, the Dreamgate championship. Right. Like, and everyone was going crazy for that match. So it's just kind of like, okay, like when I saw people like hyping this match, I was like, in my head, I was kind of like, wait, are like people just rewatching that old match? <laughs> like that was the first thing that crossed my mind. I'm like, why is everyone talking about that match again? Like it was good. And I remember everyone going crazy for it. You're like, man, that was a while ago. Like what are you just going on? Yeah. Why are you guys bringing this back up? But yeah. So then I was like, oh, they did it again. And like, unfortunately you talked about like the Osprey Okada match being like greatest hits. This was not, this was another one. It was not as good as the the last time. You know, yeah. it's just kind of trying to do the rinse repeat thing and you're just not really hitting it. And Shingo was phenomenal. And Shingo continued to have like the no DQ match with 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 uh, Moxley, you know, within this time. So it's like 
we talk about GWE list and you talk about comparing this guy, longevity, talent, all of that. Like, I think Mochizuki's great. I think he's had some really great matches, but I do, I really do think he gets overhyped as like an all timer. And I, I'm going to assume you probably have him in the top 25. Like, what, what do you, what do you think? No, you no, 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 no. Okay. Um, I love Mochizuki, but I feel like the thing for me is I'm not sure what I would point to as like this is like the definitive like all-time great Masaki Mochizuki performance. Like he has a lot of stuff that I really really like. I'm just like I'm not sure what that match is that for me I'd be like this is why Masaki Mochizuki is one of the best wrestlers ever live. And his like sheer volume of like great matches over the fact that he has been wrestling consistently for 30 years and like has been so good in this particular company across across the across generations like does matter to me and he'll make my list. But as far as like how high he makes it, like I just I'm not sure I have that single performance other like, like that one like that for me is like the like no brainer. Here is why uh, here's why he's one of the best wrestlers ever live. As to like, you know, I guess the guy he's across from Shingo that I have a few of those as to where I'm like, this is why Shingo is one of the best wrestlers of his generation and like one of the best wrestlers right. ever. So like I obviously have Shingo like way, way higher than Mochizuki, but Mochizuki will still make it for me. Yeah. Shingo is an honest to God, probably next GWE is gonna end up in the top ten for me. Like I I would I could definitely see it. Like, not just because of the phenomenal run that he had in Dragon Gate, but his the post-Dragon Gate run, you know, and I'm not doing the like, oh, he was able to draw on the big time, but no, like he he has continued to deliver at a high level and also proved to be this amazing draw that can connect to a new fan base that doesn't have this history and be able to then show back up in Dragon Gate like this and pop a, you know, pop a legend, historic, this guy's back kind of thing. Like, but one thing about Mochizuki, and it's funny because the only reason really why it crosses my mind as a comparison is, is because I'm literally watching one of his matches right now, um, is that you talk about him, people talk about him being an all-time great and standing out, especially in the Dragon system, and you know all this and that and it's like well part of it is that like he was the only mochizuki in dragon system right like he was the kicky karate guy that, they didn't really have yeah what? Well, I, was, they, I, I know what you're gonna say is that like he stands out in the context of dragon gate being the only guy that like did that style but if i had to compare right. him to other guys who work that style that aren't necessarily in dragon gate it's like what does he really do better than those guys? Which I think is a very fair point. But that's not even that is a strong point and is part kind of partially the okay, okay, but okay, my okay, comparison, okay. my actual direct comparison would be to like point to a guy like Timothy Thatcher. Right. Right. Okay. Who is the guy who does the Thatcher style that nobody else really you know, there was a time where it was hot and people did grapple fuck, but there's not really been a guy who's done decades of they are this guy, and that's all they are. They don't do anything else. They even go to WWE and just continue to be Timothy Thatcher. And like, you can compare that and say, okay, it's this breath of fresh air thing. And Thatcher sticks out to me because I love the style that he works more. I, you know, I, I like that style more, blah, blah, But also like, I just think, as you talked about, there's more standout performances. There's just higher quality across the board. And there's just more like, Thatcher stands out not because he's a gimmick, not and, and you know whatever to say Mochizuki is a gimmick, like because he's unique. He stands out, and Dragon Gate is the only guy who wrestles that kind of match, and like that's unique. And he does have a lot of cool performances as the only guy who does that thing there. 
But when you compare it to someone who does a very similar thing where they're very unique in the way that they wrestle, but they also still deliver great matches that would just be great no matter what. It's not that they're great because of like they're partially that it's great just because of like it stands out because it's the only guy who's doing that on the show. And like that's kind of I think what I, what where I was getting to with that. Right. It's like I hate to say it, but Mochizuki gets overhyped because, yeah, like you said, it's it's the only person there doing it. So he's you know, he's our great kick man who's been doing it for 30 years or whatever, you know, 40 years. Like, OK, that's fair and I get it. But that does not necessarily mean that out of that context that he is like one of the you know, top 50 greatest wrestlers of all time. And maybe he is, you know, maybe he really is. But when I compare, again, a 30 year long career for Mochizuki to a similarly long career with, you know, Brian Danielson, um, I just think, you know, Brian Danielson blows him out of the water, right? And when you're talking no, about the course. greatest of all time, I mean, that's a really hard, high benchmark, but still. My, 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 I guess my argument for Mochizuki would be like, I'm not sure how many guys have wrestled for as long as Mochizuki has and have that many years of being like legitimately good. Not just like Fair. novelty act good, not just like good because they like made like adjustments to like how they work based off like physical limitations, which is still impressive, but like being like legitimately like still like really good with like not really that many differences in like how they worked like in 2004 to how they work now. So like that would be my thing is I feel like Mochizuki is a, is like a legit been very good for that long type of guy compared yeah. to like some people who like they were good, but in the, but in this part of their career, they transitioned to doing X, Y, Z as to where Mochizuki can like still keep up just as well. That's fair. I think kind of a, a negative side of that when you talk about just the, the longevity case is the is being in Dragon Gate for that longevity. It's I think, because, I think I think so. I think so. It has to go across generations. Like it goes across sure. like different classes of guys. So like no, no, sure, yeah. So so like My, while he like while while so while he has like you know like the great matches with like say like a Susumu or a Shingo or a Yamato, like it's just as important that like he has like the best Ben K match ever, and he has the best um has the best uh fucking big R match ever probably like. I, so I so I feel like that's like really like the, like the fe- like the, like a big feather in sure. this cap as well. It's like it's not just like obviously being in the dragon system and everything. So like it's like how much your variety can be, how much versatility, how much all that stuff can like definitely get skewed. But I think the case for him is like yeah, like you know just as good as he is facing Susumu and Shingo and Yamato and these guys, like he can go in there and like give guys like Benkei and Big R their best matches ever too. That's that's a good point. I think it cuts both ways when it comes to saying dragon system stuff, though, because even though it kind of goes against my point earlier about him being the unique guy who stands out, like kind of the tough part with longevity and dragon system is that dragon system is a very plug and play style of wrestling. And it is kind of why I get the Dragon Gate freaks who really love it. And I appreciate kind of their their idea of the consistency of the company and why they like it so much, because you end up with one of, you know, oh, this was the old bugaboo that people used to say constantly, like on PWO days, but you really don't hear it as much as you used to uh, formulaic like the problem with Dragon Gate's plug and play system. And the reason why I think Dragon Gate as a promotion and a house style and you want to talk about the impact of the company. Sure, you can say they have like a big 
impact, but then it's really hard to then pick out a person and say, well, their longevity in here really, you know, speaks to how great they are because you're talking about a company where like part of the thing that makes it great is that they are able to any, they could, you could switch the ensemble cast every night, day and night. Anyone can go in and out from their spots and the quality stays about the same. And that's, I think, part of why I go like, okay, you can say that there are a few standout matches that Mochizuki has, especially giving people some of their best matches, as you talked about there. But you cannot necessarily say that day and night, every match on the tournament, every match on the tour, I should say, like you're getting like a unique, special Mochizuki performance, which does speak to what you were saying. Like, what is that great Mochizuki performance? It's like, ah, he goes in there and he kind of does the same thing over and over again. He's in his spot. Everybody is like super good at what they do. They all like, you know, switch in and out and all that. And then, you know, it's again, it's the ensemble cast. It's the ensemble nature of Dragon Gate, which is why I think has made it so hard for anyone to really make it into a Hall of Fame level career based purely on Dragon Gate because the company presents itself and the Dragon Gate style as the star of the show, as opposed to any particular wrestler as being, you know, irreplaceable. There's very few wrestlers in the history of Dragon Gate who were unique and irreplaceable. And it was like, you know, Shima, Shingo, like, and that's a, really about it. I mean, even like Yam Yamato. Um, I, think, I, I think, I think, I think Yoshi, I think Yoshino's in that category. Yeah. Yoshino is like right on the line. I could definitely see he stands out in a lot of places, but he also feels like a a a role player at times as well. But he does have unique charisma. But yeah, it's like it's very rare that there's any Dragon Gate wrestler who really feels like they stand out as like irreplaceable. I, 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 so I get that. I think that like the arguments that you're making is why like well anyone making my top 100 list is like out of all the wrestlers to ever exist, they're on the top 100. So like if I'm saying like Mochizuki's only like for like just say like to say a number if he's only like fucking 50, like sixtieth or whatever like the thing that's keeping him at sixtieth is like the thing that like the things that you're saying and that like that I mentioned is like I'm not sure what I would call the defend like the definitive Masaki Mochizuki performance and like the other stuff that you're like that you're saying but all in all like he's a guy that like for sure makes my list. I guess I'm like I'm not super surprised to know he wouldn't make he wouldn't make yours. Like now, like hearing like why you'd be hesitant or reserved on that one, but I also definitely do agree that like so like so like the, the Dragon Gate heavy people like then make it like hard to like want to make the case for Mochizuki sometimes. <laughs> like yeah, because, for sure because it can be like it can because it can feel so overboard, but. Yeah, I, I I enjoy Shingo Mochi and like again, the greatest hits, just whatever. Um, there's like a sloppy moment in there where Shingo comes comes running in and Mochizuki is uh well tries to put him in the tree of well when it just kind of like gets sloppy. Yeah, but, 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 but that's like that's it's it's whatever. I was fine. I, I didn't, didn't really like take away from it too much for me, but I thought I still thought I had a lot of fun with that match. But that spot, that spot in particular, and I hate to really nitpick one botch, but that spot, that botch was like so brutal. Not yeah. just because of like how it was and how long it took, but because of the payoff. Like that was a moment where I hate to say this because, you know, whatever. I don't know these people. I don't know what's going on in their brain. I don't know anything. But it it really speaks to the point I was making about like just being, you know, a role filler or whatever, being plugged. But like that spot felt like something where like someone who really had that veteran instinct should have known that like. Well, the payoff for this is not that big, so I can just kind of 
fudge this. Yeah. And I don't need to struggle like, and do like, this. Like, Mochi, like, Mochizuki, like, why did he not just kick him? Just kick him. And then it's the same as getting him into the tree of woe so that you can kick him. Because that's all he did. Yeah. That's, it was like, that, yeah, dude. You, you, you like could have you you just, like, let him, like, fall or whatever and, like, just kick them. I don't like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, do, I do get that for sure. Yeah, that was like a brutal, that was, again, like I said, I don't want to nitpick botches, but that was a brutal botch just because it wasn't just the botch. It was also the struggle and it just spoke to this, like, why do you have to follow, again, the formula? Why does he have to be in the tree of woe for you to just kick him? All you need to do is <laughs> kick him. All You just kick him right now. Like, yeah, that was tough. That was tough. Um, Was there anything else you wanted to hit? Uh, I got a couple. I got some, some, a couple that I'm sure you did not watch. I, I even, I DM'd you about this, and I was like, the longer you wait to record, you're gonna have to deal with talking about. So here's this the thing: stuff. is okay. I didn't watch any of it, right? And I feel like I'm still in a place where I don't treat DPW as if it's a real promotion. That's and fair. Like, and like, I know that I'm wrong for that, but I still don't treat it like it's real. And like, and like, I gotta work on that. But that's something. I can't blame a, you. I can't blame that, you. That's the me problem, though. Yeah, I can't blame you. I get I get that. I get why you would do that. It's tough for me still too. It's it's ingrained after years of just being like this is like this fake thing that I'm never going to pay attention to and then as soon as I was able to watch this stuff I'm like actually this is great. Um so yeah. But uh I wanted to talk about real quick MLW King of Coliseum 2024. This had the first match back of Matt Riddle after WWE against Jacob Fatu. Solid, fine match. Don't listen to people who tell you it's great. The Matt Stryker stuff was really fucking stupid, but whatever. Yeah, that was um, uh, that was nuts. <laughs> that was what crazy. it did. What it did show me was kind of the scary, sad thing about Riddle is that I think a lot of people are expecting and talking about it like, oh, the same old Matt Riddle is just hitting the ground running and he's back to the indies. And I'm like, you people did not watch Matt Riddle like I watched Matt Riddle. I don't know, Quentin, you remember this, but, you know, for the first however many years of Matt Riddle's career, I was like, I've watched every single Matt Riddle match. Yes. I was like the Matt Riddle appreciator. I watched his Monster Factory bullshit. I watched every yeah, little you, tiny yeah, you, you, yeah, you were like, like if there's ever if there was ever a Matt Riddle expert, like, you, yes, it was definitely you. Yeah. And this guy, like, it's so weird because I was talking to Alicia about it and I was like, it's so funny because people do not people love to paint the indies and you know whatever lucha libre as they do all the flippy do flying high spots blah 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 but it's like in 2024 you know in 2020 wwe you can't wrestle like matt riddle did on the indies you have to do a floating bro spinning senton you have to do you know what i mean you have to do springboard moonsaults to the floor because the one thing that Matt Riddle picked up from WWE that he did not used to do on the indies is he does a ton of flying moves now. It's just, it's so funny to watch because again, like I said, people don't think of it as WWE is this like high spot, you know, flippy do company. And they say, oh, that's the, you know, that's those stupid indies with them, those young buckers, those guys doing backflips and all this stupid bullshit, right? But it's like, nah, man, they took an MMA fucking fighter who wrestled like a grappling mat based style on in the indies and they made him do fucking high spots. Like, you know, you, you just have to accept that WWE and it's fair, like it, because it's interesting, it's entertaining. It's what people want to see. So you just do it. But this is not the same riddle. Riddle is not showing up back to the indies wrestling. Like he used to, he's doing so many more high spots. Like his biggest high spot on the indies was a running senton. Like, 
or, you know, or, 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 or the fucking or, or, the fucking, or, or, the, or the gut rim suplex or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like that was his big high spots. Now this motherfucker is doing again, twisting fucking 450 centons off the top springboard, you know, moonsaults to the floor. Like, yeah. Anyway, like, I'm just like, it's so fu- it's so fucking funny to see, like, because the, the perception doesn't change. People really don't think of WWE as a high spot company, but it is. It's a high spot company. You can't get over in WWE unless you're like, you know, grandfathered in. You're Randy Orton. You've been around forever. Like you can't get over in WWE anymore unless you do at least a moonsault. You have to do some high spots. Um, speaking of, I saw fucking people posting clips of uh, LA Knight doing moonsaults. And it's so fucking funny, dude. dude it is I like. Just, you have no <laughs> idea how fucking wild this is for me to like see this man like, <laughs> like dude it fucks me up so bad like yeah. it's so goddamn nuts to me man it's so <laughs> i don't yeah, get it great. i don't know how this keeps i don't know how this happens how's it like, how is he the guy yeah man like what the fuck and, is going on and doing weird ass like he does a cabrata to the off the top which is like already kind of nuts, but it's also yeah, really weird like for a guy with his body. Why are you putting it? off the top rope? <laughs> yeah, why are you doing it off the top? Why like, do you like, do that's it like that? Fucking like WWE like video game shit. <laughs> yeah, and like you, oh man, it's good. god damn man. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, fine match. Whatever. Not really worth. Not really worth the time. Um. Alex Kane Richard Holiday was good. Alex Kane match, but not a great Alex Kane match. Um. The thing that really stood out on this. And it's crazy to even say this is the second gear crew, Manders and Matthew Justice taking on the World Titan Federation, Josh Bishop and Tom Lawler. That shit fucked. That match was so fucking crazy. There was like all these insane table spots. Josh Bishop, dude, is like he is that like hidden diamond in the rough. I do not understand why nobody fucks with this guy. Someone should have signed this guy. Like, he just leaps off the page. I mean, the reason why is obviously he's doing Sid Vicious cosplay, and Sid, Vi- Sid Vicious is the master and the ruler of the universe and one of the greatest of all time aura guys, right? Like, I mean, you know, Sid just fucking rules, and Josh is doing, like, you know, knockoff Sid about as good as anybody has ever done it, and, like, it's just fucking crazy. And did you see... Okay, <laughs> I only saw the clip, but it's not talking about GIF. Josh Bishop powerbombed Mo Atlas, Hoodfoot, onto like three chairs stacked back to back. It's one of the wildest spots you're going to see all year. It's fucking crazy. Josh Bishop rules, dude. And this match was just like such a great fight. You've got the history between Bishop and Justice. Like, and then you've also got Manders in there kicking ass. Tom Lawler is phenomenal in this spot like that. But this tag match is well worth it. And this whole show was really good. It felt like MLW. There's there's like worthwhile shit to watch here. There's a ton of stuff that's like whatever fine but there is a lot of good shit in going on in mlw it's like kind of crazy to see um yeah like uh, i would i would definitely recommend people check that out um and then the other thing i just wanted to shout out a couple of things that i saw on the uh the prestige roseland 7 show uh sinner and saint win the tag team titles from c4 best match on the show great tag team match just sinner and saint are really special um Something to talk about because me and you both used to love Judas Judas Icarus teaming with uh, Elliot Tyler, and now he's like transitioned to the team with Travis Williams. Like Judas Icarus in the conversation, a really great versatile tag team wrestler, just phenomenal in 
I mean, he's really great in a lot of roles, but the way that he's able to switch to different partners, totally different styles of teams, wrestle heel babyface, doing whatever, like really, really underrated how great he is. C4, obviously the kind of the heart and soul of the Pacific Northwest. And then um, Liza Hall versus Sky Blue. And <laughs> plenty of people have seen Sky Blue on wrestle on TV, right? And she's, you know, Sky Blue, whatever. But Liza really, really made like a match out of it. She was really able to like get some interesting, cool stuff happening in a match with Sky Blue basically hitting a couple spots and just playing up her character while Liza like wrestled circles around her. It was just this was a tour de force. If you want to see like a a broomstick style match from a underrated, maybe underappreciated, really, really great wrestler in Liza Hall. And uh, in the match that I was watching when I talked about rewatching because I watched it before Thatcher and Josh Alexander, really great. Like what you want from this kind of match josh has never been like a you know a, a matt wrestler kind of guy but he's mixing it in there with thatcher somewhat and he has he comes across pretty credible he also brings up the pace the commentary stunk because at one point the commentary is like you don't want to get into a striking competition with matt riddle or with uh timothy thatcher i wouldn't recommend that and i'm like okay <laughs> and then the commentary is like yeah you want to keep him to the mat and grind on him and i'm like so what you're saying is you would encourage Josh Alexander to try to mat wrestle, wrestle with Timothy, with Timothy Thatcher. Thatcher. That's his best bet. You're basically saying your best bet is to fucking die because he eventually does get tapped out with the Fujiwara armor. It's like, dude, like you just you don't know what you're talking about. It's it's really painful to hear someone who's just like, I wouldn't recommend having a, a strike competition with Thatcher. It's like, well, you don't have a lot of other options, man. Like, that's about it. Like, if you're lucky, you might be able to catch him with a flash knockout. But otherwise, you're going to get fucked. Yeah, these, so. op these options are very limited. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, this was a, a, a solid show up and down. But there was like three matches that stand out. I'd recommend people check them out if they got the time, if they care. And if you don't have the time to go back and check these out, just pay attention to the guys I mentioned. Sinner and Saint, Judas Icarus, Travis Williams. This is a tag team that should be on people's radar. Not just as a tag team, but singles as well. As they get around more and more, they're both incredibly talented. You know that, Quentin. Liza Hall, obviously. Liza Hall is, right now, with how good she is, she is on my short list of people who I'm going to watch every one of her matches that I can find on tape, right? She is that good that, like, I highly recommend that you take the time to watch every Liza Hall match that you can find because she's right here with Sky Blue having a great match with Sky Blue, you know, like Jesus Christ. What does that say? But yeah, that was a, that was about it for me. I'm, I'm done hitting everything. If there's anything else you want to talk about or whatever before we go. Uh, no, I'm good on that stuff. I currently am downloading uh the Oz show with the Mia Momono title match on it. Oh and yeah. And I'm gonna watch the um Go and Cano match. So I'm gonna go ahead. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do those. Those are my that's my plan. But I think we're I think we're good here. Um you can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore under, underscore moody. You can follow Tim at ROH Dutch. You can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN and you can follow, is it violent underscore people? Is that what it is? I, I don't know. Say, yeah. You find it? Yeah, I feel enough. like you can find it that way. I'm not sure. We don't like, I don't, I don't want to like spread this information, but, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have anything clever 
to say. And as you, as we were ending off here, I was sending a text message. So like, I had nothing clever to say. Uh, but thank you all for listening, and hope you're next time. So persistent on you by the morning, I fell to my feet, and the doctor said we are unfortunately running out of options to treat. Can you tell?